Welcome to Professionally Challenged, war stories from leaders driving change in law firms. Your hosts are Rob Patterson of Parkins Lane Consulting Group and Paul Evans of Toro Digital. Today's guest is Ping Chu, Managing Director of Ping Publicity. Ping has worked in Singapore, Vancouver and Melbourne in numerous roles, including as a media advisor to government, a senior PR agency consultant, a communications manager, a journalist and a university lecturer. In each new city, Ping had to start from scratch with very few networks and contacts. However, what she proved with each move is that if you know what a journalist wants, then media publicity is going to work for you, even when you don't have established media contacts. Her successful approach is to publicity is based on anchoring yourself on journalism fundamentals. For example, show the journalists what's new, what's different, what's the impact and how relevant is it to their audience and then they're going to want to report on your story. As Ping explains, it's all about understanding the audience for each medium because journalists are reporting for their audience and not for you. So, welcome to the show, Ping. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Hi, Ping. All right. So, by way of background, last year I attended Ping's publicity course, that's Rob Patterson, which I highly recommend to all of our listeners. I walked away with two things. The first was an understanding of why my previous PR attempts had been so hit and miss. And secondly, a really good process for running successful PR campaigns. When Paul and I were originally discussing our our podcast, Ping was really high on my list because I think she's got a lot of insights that many people will benefit from. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. All righty, Ping. So how about we kick off with a few icebreakers? What was your first ever job? Okay, my first ever job was when I was 18. I was a waitress at Pizza Hut restaurant in Singapore. At that time, it was actually, you know, fully licensed, sit-down family restaurant, really quite upmarket. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was the first time I poured, a, I learned to pour a beer and, you know, first time I learned how to balance all these drinks uh, on a tray with one hand. So very exciting. <laughs> very, very important life skills. Yes. <laughs> well, now, given that you grew up in Singapore, did you actually, did you have your first car in Singapore? No. And that's the funny thing. I um, I never drove because, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of space in that country. So I thought, well, what's the point? I'm always taking public transport. So funnily, when I came to uh, Melbourne, uh, I was already... 25 and I even held off you know getting a license till I was 26 and then I bought my first car which was the Holden Commodore I was compelled to buy an Aussie car so (laughs) (laughs) all right last but not least if someone knew you really well what would they know about you that others may not okay um yeah I well a lot of people who know me today know that 
I love learning. Uh, you know, I believe in lifelong yeah. learning. I'm always up for, you know, learning, taking a course or doing something, you know, a workshop or a conference. Um, but um, that wasn't always the case when I was younger. I actually hated school, like all throughout <laughs> primary school and secondary school. I was not a good student. Um, and um, I think it was more about the education system that, it, you know, I just wasn't engaged. So um, luckily, uh, things turned around when I went to university. I went overseas as a uh, foreign uh, international student in Canada. And I remember when I got my master's degree, my mother actually said something like, oh, I guess, you know, you're a late bloomer. And um, I think, I guess you're not not that bad. You're pretty smart after all, I guess. You know, who would have known, she said. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a hard task, Master. (laughs) <laughs> it's actually my story as well yeah I was no good at high school um, and when I got my masters my old man was like really <laughs> <laughs> I was a model student all the way through yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> all right so on to the on to the important bit so Recent publicity campaigns. Ping, could you, for our benefit, outline a couple of your recent PR campaigns? All right. Well, so today I just wanted to talk about two uh, quite different campaigns because I wanted to show how media publicity can be used in different ways. Um, A lot of people think that uh, it's just about pitching the story, but there are other ways. So I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. So the first one was a campaign that I actually worked with you, Rob, yep. um, a year ago uh, when you were consulting to a business law firm. So this this law firm was uh, had a unique uh, business model. It was a virtual firm, uh, yep. meaning that the staff didn't have an office. And But at the time that they wanted to get media publicity, the goal was for them to be visible. In the, in the law space. You know, they wanted lawyers all over Australia to know about them mm. and consider joining them. It was all about, you know, growing. So yeah. with this goal in mind, um, the objective really was about raising awareness. And so uh, we chose to uh, pitch a story to uh, the Lawyers Weekly, which is read by all the lawyers. Um, and subsequently, the, you know, the story got published. So that was a good one, and we'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit yeah, later. It was, it was a tremendous outcome. Yeah. The, the second one is um, a holistic health practitioner. This was quite recent. I worked with her. She wanted to raise awareness, you know, about her expertise because she works on, you know, on the client's subconscious. And it's, it's a bit hard to kind of, you know, pitch that story, you know, because mm. she helps people change their lives, uh, people who are depressed or angry or addicted to things, you know. Um, But so in her case, you know, it was not uh, really possible to get a new story. Um, So we could, you know, I decided, we decided to use PR um, in a way uh, that she wrote a a blog article and then she would pitch that blog article to an editor. And um, and we chose something. We chose a parenting magazine because that was the target audience, her parents. Um, and she was, you know, her blog was accepted and she got published. And then from being published, she got more visible. She got calls, you know, things like that. So that's a very different um, campaign, uh, but just as effective. In your course, you advise that, you know, thorough background research is critical before creating a media, media release. 
But having worked with a lot of partners in particular who are eager to tell the world just how wonderful they are or how wonderful their business is, is it really <laughs> necessary to do all that background research? Can't we just tell the world how wonderful they are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely necessary to do your research. I, I think that the main reason being, you know, if you don't do any research, then all you have is really what you want to say. That's all you, you've got only one thing. You, you want to say one thing and you're just going to say it. And you're not really considering uh, the listener, you know, yeah. where are they, you know, uh, is it going to be interesting to them? What are they thinking? Where are they at? You know, so you, most of the people who don't do their research will actually fail uh, in getting their story told by the journalist because you don't understand where they're coming from. So you're not speaking to what they're listening for. Um, so for me, you know, absolutely research is important. And the two questions I always ask myself, even when I'm writing, even when I've, you know, done all the research and, and starting to write, I, I'll write something and I'll say, okay, so what? I always ask myself, so what, you know, is, do people care? So it's always two things. So what, and who cares? (laughs) And it's a, it's a good test. Yeah. Um, to be really objective and look at it that way and try to put yourself in the shoes of the, the, the yeah. audience, you know. Um, yeah. So, one the, yeah. And, and I'm, one of the things that struck me, and I, one of the real bits of gold that I thought that, that you imparted to me was, you know, when we're looking at, you know, as you say, so what or what's important about, about the virtual firm was, you know, is there any academic, research or is there any rigor supporting your contention and as it turned out there was there was there was some really interesting research supporting um you know a, a virtual firm and some of the benefits of a virtual firm um with your holistic health person what sort of research did you do um to help them okay so with the holistic health um I guess well, I'll just explain a little bit like with the other example with the law firm that we yes. talked about. Uh, the research was looking at, you know, the, what we were going to talk about. Our news hook was mm-hmm. about looking at, you know, um, experience, um, you know, uh, staff experience yes. and staff engage- versus staff engagement. Yeah. Um, and so we look for a, a specific piece of um of research that will back up what we're actually trying to say, you know, or the point that we're trying to make. Um, with this, with the blog articles, you know, slightly different because we're not looking at it so academically. The research was about her own research, like her own experience with um, with parents and with that, you know, with the topic um, yeah. that we, we looked at some of the things that she'd been dealing with. But yeah. the other kind of research we had to do was, because there were a lot of people in her space that were writing about um, the subconscious and therapy, you know, for depression and all that. If she was to write a piece, um, you know, something that she really wanted to write about, we got to do the research to see what, what are other, her competitors writing about? If they've already been published, uh, similar stuff, you don't want to be seen writing the same stuff. Mm. So, you know, it's different. So that kind of, the research was more about that. What have other people um, similar to her, uh, what have they been writing? 
And and so it was quite interesting because we saw, yeah, you know, people talking about, you know, depression or uh, things, helpful tips for the parents. And then we talked a little bit more and realized that um, she had a lot of parents who were wanting therapy for their children, really young children, primary school age children. And she said, I don't want them um, to go to therapy. They don't need to. You know, most of the time it's because um, it's about the mum or the dad. Yes, yes. They have to fix their problems first <laughs> before <laughs> they can fix the kids. And actually kids are, can adjust according yeah. to the parents. So it was quite funny that we actually then wrote a piece about how you shouldn't rush your children to therapy. So, <laughs> um, and that was very interesting. And so we did the research to look at has anybody written about that? The opposite. Yeah. And when we found that nobody had, uh, and she used that topic, it was great because um, the editor loved it and said, oh, this is great. We haven't, you know, used it. So that's the, I guess that's that's a benefit of doing your research. Absolutely. And heaps of cut through by taking a position that no one else had taken. Yeah. it's brilliant. The other thing that you made me research and, and I realised the benefits of it was researching the journalists as well that you're approaching. Yes. And, um, you know, for me, one of the things I learned through that was that by looking at things that the journalists had written on or had been focusing on and then when you are pitching to the journalists, commenting on that makes a heap of difference because you actually sound or not sound, you are quite a bit informed about what, what they find is important. All right. So um, now one of the things I also learned was the difference between a media release and a pitch to a journalist. Can you succinctly tell our listeners what the difference between the two is? Okay. All right. So um, a media release, and sometimes we call it the press release or the news release, (laughs) but it's essentially the same thing. It's really your story. You know, this is the story that you want um, the journalist to write about. Um, And it should contain um, all all the answers to the questions of like when, where, what, how, who, um, and you should also have a, a quote, uh, maybe one or two quotes uh, from the person that is going to talk about this issue. Um, and so that's the story. And it's written in a structure like a journalist. So really you're thinking like a journalist and writing something that they can picture themselves reporting on. Um, yeah. And so that's your story. The pitch is really the sale, <laughs> the sale yep. of that story. And it has to be very, very brief because, you know, I guess everybody's busy. So journalists, especially, they get a lot of emails um, every day for story ideas. So you've got to be really quick. So the, the pitch is really a sale, but the first sentence is really what the story is about in, you know, maybe eight words, nine words, um, and and why, like what's the significance. So that's the main thing. So I, I would always include three things. The first thing is what the story is, what is the significance. So why would your readers care, basically? Yeah. Uh, it could be because, you know, an issue has been in discussion for a while. This is interesting because it's a, a flip 
you know, or a, a different version or digging deeper, you know, something. And then the third is always, when are you available to, to be interviewed or who is going to be available and when? So usually just three things. Um, and then you include your story and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> So, in respect of again the, the the holistic health example, what was your pitch to to that magazine? Okay, so with this one, um, it was uh, she because I was teaching her how to do it. So you know she did it herself, but with yeah. a lot of guidance from me. So her pitch was. Um, how uh, she came up with a headline or we worked on a headline together and it says how to be the leader of your pack. Okay. And, and then, so she talked about why she says, no, I have an article about being the leader. I've got tips of how a mum can be the leader of your pack. And, and then she says, it's, you know, it's important today because everyone's rushing to give their kids therapy. You know, I don't recommend that. So that's then, and, and, you know, I'm using, using the element of conflict. Now talk about news elements. Uh, conflict is one of them. Um, that's saying the opposite, just not going with the status quo. And it always works because it's different. Yeah. Um, and so using conflict is good. Uh, and so that went well. And they said they, they liked the idea and she got published. Brilliant. Really cool. Newsworthiness is another thing that, that I know that, that you're very big on. Marketers are often faced with a demand from the business to get our story out in the media, you know, just get it out there. And I, I've seen that and I've had that demand made upon me several times. So what are the what are the one or two elements that make a story newsworthy? All right. Well, there's so many, <laughs> so many elements in news, and it's actually, I mean, if um, well, listeners, you know, when you have, if you have time, you can come to my website and read the blog. I actually have a blog um, article that says what makes it newsworthy. What is newsworthy? And I think we came. I came down to ten. There were ten different elements, but I would. I, no, I'm not going to go through all of them. But I think the key one is. It must be something new. So, you know, it's pretty basic news. Yeah. has to be something mm-hmm. new. Um, but that's what people want to see, what's new and what's mm-hmm. different and what's innovative. And a lot of that, you know, I guess one, you, it doesn't, not just one news element stands on its own. It's usually partnered with a few things. So timeliness is important because um, yes. you, use, you usually hook it to something that is um, being discussed, you know, which is trending, I guess that's the word that people use, um, which makes it interesting because, you know, certain issues are being discussed. So, you know, so timeliness, new, um, definitely, uh, the relevance to the reader. How is it going to, how do you relate to this? You know, does it impact you? Yeah. So relevance and impact kind of go hand in hand and how it's going to, yeah, like are you going to suffer from it or are you going to benefit from it, you know? Yes. And what what is it that um, that to actually measure that, you know? And we, I talk about size as well. Um, so if it's a huge impact, how much impact is that, you know? So, yeah, so it's all kind of all intertwined, yeah. um, those elements, yeah. But, but really important, aren't they, in that 
you know, as I said, you know, a lot of people want to just push their own barrow, but if it's not newsworthy, if it's not relevant, if it's not timely, it's just not going to get picked up. In terms of structuring your media release, another key learning for me was that you need to structure your, your media release properly. How important is the headline, do you think, Ping? Yeah, I, I think it's really important. Um, sometimes it, you know, could make or break the story. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny, I, I mean, with headlines, you know, there's some creative, you know, some people who are quite creative and they like writing, um, they start to think they want to be a bit clever. So almost mm-hmm. like writing it like an ad almost with yeah. kind of subliminal <laughs> meaning and stuff. And that's not what we want because it's very different. The headline is, is different to an ad copy or advertising copy. Um, so you don't want to be try to be clever. You just want to say exactly what it is and say it simply. So it doesn't have to be, you know, artistic or anything like that. It's really just saying what the main point is uh, and not too long. So usually the rules are, and this is journalism rules. You know, when uh, we, well, when I was trained as a journalist, uh, we would say uh, a headline would be about eight words. Yes. Uh, because you want to capture, you want to capture exactly what the story is about in eight words. You don't want more than that. Um, so that it's all about making the journalists, making it easy for the journalists that they read it and they get it, you yeah. know, and that sums it up. That, that really sums it up. And sometimes while well, it's quite deceiving, people think, oh, it's just a short headline. Why did you take so long to write it? Um, it actually is a bit of a process you know, um, and playing with it and saying, well, is this, you know, is this going to be the most impactful um, headline for the story? So when when you pitch a, a news release, do you find that the journalists will often use your headline or will they use, maybe create their own variation on the theme? I think they'd like to change it a bit. Yes. Um, because, only because... <laughs> they don't like to be told what to do, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they just want it to be their piece. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of, you know, sometimes with that competition between PR and journalists, that they don't want to be seen that that the journal, um, that PR person just given them everything and they've just taken it, you know, without making any change, that they want to think about it a bit more. So usually they would want to change it. But the, the the whole idea is communicating to them what the story is. Yes, and if right. they can see that that's a story that they like, they can change it, you know, to a different angle. And often they do change it. And sometimes people don't like it because they said, no, I, I, I gave that angle. Why did you take another angle? And that's, the, you know, that's the thing about PR, that you don't have control. You know, right. Once you, you pitch it, that's your pitch, what they do with it. And sometimes um, it can actually, uh, they might come up with a story completely different to what you thought would be. And it might even sometimes be a bit negative. And, and sometimes, you know, the PR people get, or the organization gets so angry and they said, that's not what we told you. Um, but it's up to them. You can't control it, but you're trying as much as possible with your communication to communicate. That's my story. You know, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So journalists wouldn't normally call 
um, after they've received a media release and want to run with the story or it really depends on the publication? It depends on the publication. So in terms of um, when it's fairly well-known kind of media, so like Lawyers Weekly, you know, it's well highly regarded in in the industry, they would want to check you know, your quotes and at least, you know, talk to the person. Um, With the maybe smaller publications that actually are under-resourced, they don't have enough journalists to cover everything and they really need to have more stories in there. Sometimes they just take it, you know, they take it and they don't, they don't uh, check it. Mm. Uh, they might just check with the PR person, but they may not actually interview the person who is quoted and mm. they might just take the quote. So it really depends. I mean, um, from the PR perspective, um, if a journalist decides to just run with it without actually interviewing or without you know doing much more, um, it's actually a real winner for them because, you know, They've written it in the way they've written it and it's got published that way. It's exactly almost like you've controlled it. You know, it's like an ad that you've yeah. done. So it's a win for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so ideally they love that, uh, but that's not always the case. Okay. Right. That was my experience as well. I think that the one that we worked on together, that the journalist paraphrased it differently. It was a similar sort of slant, but paraphrased it differently, So, which is great. They did, probably did a better job than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I've got my headline sorted. What should I be putting in the first paragraph? Okay. So when we write the press release um, or the news release, um, it's we're thinking like a journalist. So we're, the structure of a, of a news release is very much a structure of a, a news story mm-hmm. um, that would appear you know in the age or you know Herald Sun whatever it is um, and this and that would be to have most of the, the key news elements within that first paragraph so you have to have you know what and who and how you know try and get as many of those into the first paragraph obviously you can't always get that so usually we'll say in the first two paragraphs it should cover everything it should cover all your who what when where how um and what yeah so um yeah so that's that's mainly the first two paragraphs okay and then you go into a bit of detail later on yes that's right so as you expand um, then you start to bring, you know, usually in the third paragraph, we start to bring in the person, you know, if we're talking about, yeah. you know, an innovation from a company, then it will be the CEO or principal for, mm-hmm. you know, the law firm um, and explain a little bit more and bring in a few more details as we go further. And the whole idea came from, I mean, this is really, you know, back right to the old days of journalism is that, um, when we were, you know, with the typewriter, they they would type the stories out, and the editor would just be able to cut the last three or four <laughs> paragraphs. And so the copy, you know, the, I think there's like mm. a, like a runner who runs, you know, grabs the copy from the typewriter and gives it to the press to get it printed. <laughs> would then just have the top bit. So that it came from that. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So cutting from the bottom. So you have the most important at the top. Mm. Um, and the least important things at the bottom. Yeah. I think that's probably how people read websites as well. 
obviously top to bottom, but read probably the first paragraph or two, then they start scanning and looking at headlines. Yes, yeah. that's right. And that's why, you know, the headlines are so important. Mm. Okay. Cool, cool. Okay, so I've emailed the journalist. A week has passed and I've heard nothing. What should I do then? All right. Well, a lot of the time, um, because journalists have, you know, so many stories, that ideas that are pitched to them, mm. they don't really get back to you at all. So actually for a PR person, a lot of your time <laughs> is spent following up. So following up is the most important thing, you know, other than you put it out there, but you can't just leave it and hope for the best, really. Like you hope uh, for the best for a few days and then you go, okay, it's time to follow up. And usually what I do is about uh, give it a minimum of three days, for three to three days, okay, three yeah. to five days. Um, could be a week. Uh, but if it's something that you think, oh, you know, the timing is important, mm -hmm. then I would say three days, follow up on it. You know, if something urgent, anything that it would, you know, you might miss the boat if it's a little bit too late, you know, that, that maybe that it wouldn't be yeah. as strong a story anymore. Uh, yeah, you get on to it. So definitely follow up. Um, and that's really important because they might say, oh, I didn't see it. Uh, sometimes they delete lots of emails all at one go and, and yeah. it's gone and they never saw it, you know. So, yeah, follow up. So. In terms of um, the journalists, if, if I'm lucky enough and after having followed up, they then contact me, should I anticipate that they might request further material like a photograph or a high-res logo? Should I sort of have those at the ready? Yeah, I, I think that for me, I always think the best way is the first time to anticipate everything and at the first time, give it to them um, because the whole idea is to make it as easy as possible for them. So they see everything all at one go. They don't have to come back and ask you for stuff, you know, as much as possible. Um, obviously, they will ask for some stuff, but at, at least you've, you know, you've managed as much as possible. So I would say, um, like, say, for photograph, you know, I would just have, have that available uh, already. Um, and what I do is because, you know, they get so much email and, and you don't want to attach too many things. So even with a photograph, which is usually with its high resolution, takes up a lot of space. So I would provide a link to say a Dropbox or something okay. where you've yeah. stored. So rather than give them a big document, give them links that they can just access. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Now, in terms of making the pitch, should I make the pitch by email or phone? Is there a best way to do it? Well, I think I always go with email. Mm -hmm. uh, only because journalists are really, really busy. They basically, yeah. very, very few of them actually pick up phones when they're ringing. Like they would use their phone, obviously, to um, to interview people, but they don't just, you know. So email is the best way. Mm -hmm. uh, unless it's something so urgent and you think it's fantastic, like they would really want to know right away, a okay. breaking kind of story then yes definitely use the phone but if it's not urgent it's it's a story that'd be great that they'll appreciate uh but it's not urgent um i'll go with email okay good tip and if i'm emailing it do i 
attach the press release or do I put it in the body of the email? How should I do that? Yeah, so just like, um, just like you know, how I talked about the photos, mm. we want to make it really easy for them. So I would... Uh, I won't be attaching a document like the press release. I'll just cut and paste the words and put it in your main email. So you do your pitch and then you just scroll down. You know, you say, this is the story. Have a look. Details are below and have that story there. And then you have all your links to whatever else that you want to show them. And sometimes the links could be, you know, just extra information about those issues or things that have been debated. Um, it could be, you know, to government, it might be government media releases that have come out that have talked about those issues or, or other reports that have come out in the, in the media. So you can just provide links to them so, so they don't have okay. to go and Google for them and try and find background information. You've done it for them. Yeah, okay. And that's all helpful. So just yeah, clicking through all the links. Which totally makes sense. It's like if I was doing that for someone internally, that's exactly what I would do. So I totally get that, how okay. that would help them. Um, okay. Ask should should you only ever pitch a story to one journalist? So should it be an exclusive? And I guess then what happens if they don't answer? Is it poor form to then go to another journalist and pitch the story after say that three days? Or how do you sort of handle that kind of situation? Okay. Well, I um, for maybe just it it really depends on the circumstances. Um, with the bigger media, uh, if it's um, quite an in-depth story, you know, say that you have to go and talk about case or, you know, something really in-depth, I would not offer it to, you know, all three channels. Like, say, if we want to go to TV, you know, I would choose one, which I think would be the best. So it will um, give me good coverage that will be fair um, and who will do a good job. So it might be that you think, well, ABC might be the best one, you know, or maybe, you know, Channel 7 or maybe the project, on, you know, depending on what the the the, um, the case is or whatever the story is. Um, and if they say no, they're not interested, then by all means, choose somebody else. And uh, But I would say one at a time when it's quite in-depth, if it's a general story that, you know, launching something as service, yeah, that I would say, you know, that would be a new story. I would offer it to everyone at yes. the same time. Uh, and yeah, that that's an important thing, like everybody at the same time. So it's fair. Mm-hmm. It's yep. not like that somebody had, you know, a, a day before and broke the story, you yep. know? Yep. Yeah. So you, you know, you try to be fair, as fair as possible. Um, but if it's some kind of special investigation, you might want to just choose one media mm-hmm. to go with. Sure. Cool, cool. Okay, Ping. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. And as I said, I highly recommend your course to anybody who's serious about um, public relations and, and getting their public relations messages across. Just before we finish up, there's a few, I've got a few questions that I'd like to ask you. The first is, can you nominate another industry leader that you hold in great respect that you think we should also talk to as part of our podcast? Yes, I have somebody in mind. Um, her name is Stephanie Holt. 
She is a principal at uh, Argent Law. She's a family lawyer. She has many, many years of um, um, experience in legal aid, um, championing um, the rights of marginalized women. Um, so I really uh, love her work um, and her passion. So, yes. Awesome. So, Sean, I might get you to send her details through to us. That'd be brilliant. Okay. Now, if you could lead any company in the world other than Ping Publicity, which would that be? I, I don't think I have a, a company in mind, a specific company, but I know the kind of characteristics, I guess, of, of a company that I would love. And for me, sustainability is is very important for me. Um, not just, you know, about um, eco-friendly and that kind of thing. But so, so being good to the earth, but also sustainable in terms of the people, yeah. like that, you know, being good to your people so that we're a sustainable workforce. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so not the Republican Party in the US then? No. <laughs> 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 okay. Um, so one of the key things is how can people connect with you? Um, can they connect with you on LinkedIn or Twitter or good old email? Yeah. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, but yep. uh, I love I love the email. Okay. Um, and so my email address is ping at pingpublicity.com.au. And I also love uh, for people to come to my website and have a read um, mm-hmm. of my blog articles because there's a lot of information there uh, which we've kind of covered a little bit, yeah. you know, in today's conversation. Oh, cool. Right, and your website is www.pingpublicity? Yes, .com. .com.au. Brilliant. Brilliant. Right. <laughs> I most people will probably Google it. And we'll also include those contact details on the notes to our podcast today. Um I might hand it over to Paul to wrap it up as he usually does a pretty good job of that. I was just going to say thank you for being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I learned, yeah, I learned a, a ton from it, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I love talking about um, what I do best. <laughs> oh, that's great. Again, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Professionally Challenged. Visit our website at www.professionallychallenged.com and please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, bye for now.